Well, I think a, a big thing, too, is that we have to remember that all of this is our built and learned skills. Like, I can't help but think of the classic situation of someone going to an artist going, wow, you're so gifted. It's like, yeah, but how about all the hard work? This is The Labyrinth and the Thread, conversations about creativity and mental health for, by, and with people who love to create things and have experience navigating mental health. I'm Amelia Aldred, and I'm glad you're listening. Steve Discont is an industrial organizational psychologist, events lead for Midwest FurFest, and the co-host of the Session Zero podcast, where he and co-host licensed clinical psychologist Porter Green explore role-playing games through the lens of psychology. Steve is also a hobbyist dancer who has been learning and moving within a variety of different dance styles over the last decade. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely, Amelia. It's a pleasure. So Steve, let's start by talking about what you enjoy creating. What are the things that I love to create? Well, I feel like that's a weird question for me because a lot of what I create is not tangible uh, and there's not usually a product after it. Like uh, a lot of what I do creativity wise is either it's role playing. So it's emotive, it's improvisational storytelling in some capacity. And typically when that is said and done, there's no real product left outside of the memories and the experiences that either myself or other players have had. And then from a dance perspective, I feel like it is along the same lines because unless something was recorded, typically with hip hop dance, especially with improvisational type of styles, like popping or anything that you might think of with, where there's like a dance battle, that type of stuff, again, it is based on what people are able to take away from it, from the direct experience rather than something recorded and tangible like music or writing or visual arts. That's really interesting that both of those are improvisational forms and are in the moment experiences. Are there other common threads between dancing and gaming that you enjoy? I think that's a good question. I think some of it is due to what I jokingly refer to as my being painfully extroverted in the sense that when doing these styles of dance or doing role playing or storytelling as in running a game, I'm getting to be part of a shared experience and a shared conversation with another individual or other individuals. So when you think of people who are dancing in a circle or what's called a cipher, people are essentially conversing in some capacity through their dance. So I, my goal is to have a dialogue while I'm dancing with other people or dancing in that circle either building on what other people are doing, responding to what other people are doing, responding to the music in the moment. So I think a lot of that comes to that experience of getting to experience and share those moments with other people. I imagine since you run a podcast that explores gaming through the lens of psychology that your training as a psychologist informs how you view your creative projects. But that's an assumption I'm making. I don't know if that's only with gaming or if that is with other projects as well. I wouldn't say you're too off the mark. I think for gaming, for me, it's about an emotional experience. And it's about, essentially, it's a cognitive experience as well. Because I'm trying to think of what makes an interesting and engaging story and being part of that story with someone else. So I think that psychology does inform that because when I am trying to play a character or if I'm trying to lead 
people through a game in some capacity, I'm actively trying to think about what engages them. What are the things that they are comfortable with, that intrigue them, that engage them? How can I bring that to their experience? Either through my interactions with them as a character I'm portraying and the story I'm helping tell, or from the perspective of a game master or a master ceremonies where I'm able to help guide the stories that make things interesting and intriguing. So as someone who plays and runs and thinks a lot about games and the creative experience of games, what are some of the markers of a game experience that went really well? Especially for some of our listeners who may not have participated in an RPG before, what does a good day look like? If I've cried. No, I'm joking. Um, I, <laughs> I think like what what is an example where I'm able to walk away from a this improvisational experience is if I'm able to go, okay, that was really cool. If there were parts of the story that I was able to contribute to or that others did, where I distinctly will walk away from remembering that it was outrageous or over the top or even just extremely emotionally engaging. Those are the type of stories that I find really interesting and that I can tell it's been a really good time that I can walk away from a gaming experience and go, I'm still going to talk about that's what happened there because what happened there was really cool. Um, I think for a really engaging dance experience, though, I think there's a lot more that surrounds that. There have definitely been times where I'm at like a practice session that has been had memorable moments, but I think the really engaging dance situations, especially when you're doing things like hip hop dance are in for me, the battle experiences or getting to be at a battle or watching it or taking it in because it's not just the fact that you are getting to dance. There's a heightened energy about it. Everyone there is there to enjoy this experience as well. So the intensity of the people who are watching it is higher. Their engagement is higher. And I think the emotional highs and lows are a lot higher too. Steve and I share a love of dance. I've taken dance classes off and on for several years, and I really enjoy watching dance performances. One of the things I enjoy about dance is that it feels so different than writing, which is my go-to creative outlet. Kind of like creative cross-training, and with more exciting costumes than what I usually wear when writing. Steve and I talked about how and why types of creative work can feel so different. It just feels different, I guess, that I don't have that really, the, the, there are limitations, but in some ways they feel more invisible. Whereas with the body, it's just right there. It's just physical. Like I just stumbled over that step and fell on my face. Like it's really, <laughs> versus like looking back on the draft, I'm like, oh, you know, I stumbled and fell on my face in, you know, the pacing and structure of this story. But I'm seeing that looking back now. I don't have that reminder in the moment, you know? Is it a function of the nature of the skills and abilities that you're trying to develop or that you fostered tied to that form of creativity? Because it sounds like for you, it, it you could be much more aware about your somatic experience when you're trying to do dance and trying to wrap your brain around a choreography or movements. Whereas, as you said, it's different, it maybe almost like a detachment when mm -hmm. you are doing writing because it's a mostly to purely cognitive process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, that is part of it. Um, 
I think we could also, this is actually a great segue um, into thinking about mental health and that aspect of it. I think part of what I enjoy about dancing and is also the challenge of it is for me having that relationship with my physical self and mm. to face the fact that I also have a physical body as well as a brain and that, you know, in my life, I find that I've relied more on my brain um, and had a well, I don't know if say a better relationship with my brain because, you know, <laughs> we've had our issues too. <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I think, um, I think it, it makes me really engage in that relationship, um, dancing. Um, and in many ways, uh, that can be a really helpful thing for me. That's a place where I feel like I've grown, um, as a person, and I've really explored some kind of aspects of mental health uh, in terms of what it comes to body image, body relationship, um, sense of bodies um, through dance. Whereas with writing, I mean, I can do that more cognitively in terms of writing about you know body experience, but it's not quite so in your face as it is again when you know you stumble on a step and you fall on your face and you might like your mind might go down the rabbit hole oh i can't do anything right i'm so clumsy why does my body do this you know and whatever else comes up there you know well well, i think a, a big thing too is that we have to remember that all of this is our built and learned skills like mm-hmm. i can't help but think of the classic situation of someone going to an artist going wow, you're so gifted. It's like, yeah, but how about all the hard work? How yeah. about how about the the four plus years of art school that I did? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I always think of those situations and I, and I think maybe dance has really helped me develop an appreciation for that because I've, I don't consider myself by any means like an amazing dancer. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty okay. But I also recognize how much hard work that people who really, 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 that dances their lives, how much work they're putting in day in and day out. Um, I can't help but think of, we have an OG here in Chicago. Uh, it, he's been popping for the last 30 years. Uh, his name is uh, Torrance Griffin. Uh, he goes by T-Bugs. And T-Bugs has been dancing, I mean, almost as long as I have been alive. A and B, knowing how much time he puts in, because he's still drilling and practicing uh, at least an hour to two hours a day. So he's doing this even in his fifties. And I look at how much hard work that man has put into what he does, and even just learning from him, like I'm better off from the the time and skill he's paid onto it, he that he's put into it, and that is absolutely because of effort. So I think it's easy to get hard on ourselves, especially when we trip up and especially when we make mistakes. But we have to remember that, you know, even the best writers and the best dancers and the best visual artists and the best sculptors, they weren't born that way. That was that was actively fostered skills and abilities. It's becoming more common to talk about mental health and neurodiversity, I haven't found a lot of practical resources about running creative projects while also navigating mental health issues, both with yourself or with others. 
One of the reasons I asked Steve to talk to me about creativity and mental health is that he and Porter Green have a wonderful episode about ADHD and gaming on their podcast. Steve talks about how his lived experience of having ADHD has affected how he thinks about building inclusive creative communities in gaming, including some practical advice about how to run improvisational games as and for people with ADHD. I asked Steve if he found that his lived experience having ADHD has affected how he approaches other creative projects. When I evaluate how my ADHD may have impacted my approach to creative outlets, I think that one of the challenges I've had is remaining consistent and remaining engaged. Uh, One of the challenges with ADHD is that often one who has ADHD, their brain is constantly seeking out novel stimulus. Uh, It is just a function of attentional resources, and we are constantly trying to keep that going. And so I think that is part of the problem that I've had with dance, because I have jumped around across various styles that I have been interested in and that I've wanted to learn, because either I've become disengaged or because I found myself up against a challenge and realizing, uh, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to move on to this other thing. Um, you know, looking back, I think well before I even did dance, I looked to when I used to do diving in middle and high school, there was a point where I went up against a challenge where it was like, I had to push past learning certain dives. I was like, and eh, I'm done. I think I'm good. Uh, and that's because I didn't really have in a sense, the wherewithal to push past like that level of discomfort and that level of emotional negativity of, oh, I can't do this thing. Can I push past it? But I think also like bringing it back into the now, that is part of why I think I've jumped around is because once either I get bored or the the initial honeymoon phase, so to speak, kind of fades, I had moved on to other things. So I have done popping. I have done whacking. I used to do breakdancing when I was younger. I did ballroom and Latin when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky. I've covered a lot of ground in a lot of different areas. I've taken a little bit in locking. Uh, I learned crump a little bit. I've jumped around, and I think only much more recently have I been able to really grow and develop when it comes to popping. But that is also recognizing that I am spending money, (laughs) have an exterior form of responsibility of I have made it. I have made a traditional transaction and therefore I am obligating myself to continue moving forward with it, which sounds kind of jaded in a sense, but it is recognizing that as someone with ADHD, I need exterior structures and I need. As someone with ADHD, I recognize I need structure in some capacity and often it's better when it's external. <laughs> if I have external systems that help me continue moving forward in a particular direction, whether it is engaging in the materials that I'm trying to learn or the techniques, that helps me because I have challenges motivating myself to do it. Because executive functioning is difficult for me. That's such a good point that you make about 
knowing that you need external structures and you then go out and find them for things that you love, like dancing. It's something that I can certainly empathize with that I found in my own life of finding what works for you uh, and that it's not really, I try to think of it as it's not really good or bad. This is just how my brain works. Mm -hmm. And so I try to work with it rather than working against it. Like, well, okay, so this is what I, this is what I got. So how do I work with this? Mm -hmm. You know, I know for, for example, for myself that I find that I can get very into just the discipline of writing uh, and which is very helpful in that for me, a way that I have of, of coping with mental health issues is to put a lot of structure in my life. And that can be really helpful, but it does mean that then I can de-emphasize the role of joy <laughs> in my life and just kind of be like, well, that's not important. Like who needs joy when I just have hard work and discipline, um, which is not where you want to take that. That's, that's not that's not the point. You mean the Protestant work ethic isn't what we're supposed to be pursuing? I know. I know. It's it's a terrible discovery. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but no, in fact, you know, just working and working and working is not, in fact, always the key, the key to life. Um, I feel like I learned something just now. I know. Someone told me at one point, you know, Amelia, not all problems can be solved by spreadsheets. And I was like, you say that. <laughs> like, Challenge accepted. <laughs> I don't know how much I agree because I am more and more getting better with Excel over the, the last few years. And uh, spreadsheets have made my life a little bit easier to do the other things that I want. And that's the thing, you know, is is it makes it easier to do the things that you want. And so, for example, um, when I was you know, like, okay, I, I do, in fact, want to cultivate more joy in my life. And that's a really important thing for me to do for my, my own mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, I will structure in joy time. You know, like I will try to find like structured ways that I make room for that, whether that's just as simple as saying in a day, like, you know what? I am going to just improvise a bit more this uh, this day. I am not going to have a schedule and I'm going to lean into that structured, unstructured time, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, that was that was something that was recommended to me back when I was originally pursuing my doctorate in counseling. That was mm -hmm. one, of, one of the things my clinical supervisor had suggested to me, uh, Dr. Terry White. And Dr. White basically encouraged me to fully structure out my day. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought it was a little draconic because it was like, all right, I'm scheduling this time to study. I'm scheduling this time for class. I'm scheduling this time for mental health practice. But it was helpful for, again, as someone who needs external structure uh, and needs those type of systems in place, even saying this is a period of time where I'm not allowed to work. This is a period of time where I am not allowed to be focusing on studying or reading uh, textbooks or anything like that. I have to use this time for my own personal enjoyment. time and I do want to give a chance uh, for you to talk about any current projects that you have going on or any uh, creative work that you'd particularly like to plug whether it's yourself uh, or others um, so yeah anything anything that you're doing right now or that you know of is going on right now that you'd really love to share with listeners well so my podcast unfortunately is currently on hiatus that is a function of the pandemic that's going on right now 
Uh, my Myself and my co-host, Porter, we are hoping to eventually pick Session Zero back up. But for those who are looking to check it out, you know, again, it is us talking about role-playing and role-playing games through the lens of psychology. Uh, our intent is to teach gamers about psychology. Uh, we already assume that psychologists already know this stuff, and maybe they don't gaming, but we really wanted to help give role-playing gamers new tools and new resources they could use either in their own experience or things that they can bring to the table or in the live experience uh, that might improve their experience or just find them, give them ways to work around other situations. So if people want to check that out, uh, uh, you can find us on our Twitter is at session zero pod pod uh, as in the band that some people might remember from the early 2000s. You could also, if you Google us, Session Zero Podcast, we're going to be one of the first things that come up. You can find us on your, you can find us on your standard podcast catcher. So things like iTunes, Overcast, you can probably find us on all those places. Other than that, I don't really have much else, unfortunately, going on right now. And I guess if people want to find me on Twitter, they can find me at, at barely normal. That's B E A R L Y normal. Uh, because I don't know, it, it's a it's been my gamer tag forever, and it it is a silly bear pun. I love it. I am a big fan of punny Twitter uh, handles. So, uh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you talking to me about this and sharing all of these really interesting insights about uh, how you enjoy creating things, how you approach creative communities. Uh, your perspective on dancing and gaming, uh, and your perspective as a professional psychologist. This has been really wonderful, Steve. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support us, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash labthreadpodcast. If you're not in a position to financially support us, you can help out by spreading the word and following us on social media. Stories, concerns, and manifestos can all be emailed to labthreadpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Remember to take care of yourselves and each other. And until next time, from Chicago, Illinois, this is The Labyrinth and the Thread. Thread.